Good morning. I'm excited about the uh, announcement that was made earlier and uh, all that God is doing here. Um, and in all the excitement, I failed to welcome our guest. And you are very welcome in this place. Um, there's a card that looks like this in the uh, back of the pew in front of you. If you would, uh, grab one of those, fill it out. You cannot put it in the offering plate, but if you'll just leave it in the pew at the end of the service, we'll retrieve that. We'd love to have a record of you having worshiped with us. My name is Wyatt Warren. I'm associate pastor uh, and uh, just thrilled with uh, the decision and the announcement that the pastor search committee made uh, this morning. Uh, Scott is in uh, Detroit preaching, I believe, four services today. And um, he'll be back with us for Father's Day and also certainly on the 25th uh, when he will uh, be voted in. And I'm excited about what God has in store for us. Uh, we did not plan this announcement to coincide with this message, but it fits very, very nicely. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 14 if you want to get your swords out and turn there. Just a, a great, great week with lots of stuff happening with Vacation Bible School and recognizing Melinda. Uh, we also uh, have uh, uh, Donna Campbell, who is uh, part of our congregation. Many of you all know her. Uh, she's uh, leaving this week to go back to Kenya to work uh, one more time at End Abba's Arms. And uh, it's just uh, uh, a a great time. We're seeing so much wonderful activity. Excited about the potential with uh, Pastor Scott coming on, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to fit right in with the message that we had planned several months ago to have on this Sunday. So uh, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, you're so awesome and wonderful, full of grace and power and majesty, and I, I thank you for uh, uh, the people that you're sending to us. I thank you for Pastor Scott. Uh, I just pray, Father, that you would uh, encourage him and bless him. I, I thank you for Melinda and uh, the great work that she has done over these last uh, several years and continues to do. Uh, we just uh, are so thankful for her. I thank you, too, for our missionaries. I pray especially for the Gillies and also for, uh, for Donna and uh, Father, I, I pray for uh, all of our missionaries on the field and uh, just ask that you would bless them mightily, that you would use them mightily. I pray for this congregation, Lord, as we have such a, a bright future in front of us. Uh, I, I would ask, Father, that you'd help us to have great vision, that you'd help us to see uh, who the enemy is and that you would identify him for us. And Father, we pray for a great victory. We, we look forward to the day when this uh, uh, service and the service before and the service after and the service after that are filled to overflowing and that your message of truth is proclaimed throughout this valley. Father, make us the church that you would have us to be and we give you the praise and the glory for all that you do in our midst. And we ask these things in the powerful, the life-changing the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, let me set this uh, situation up and the account that we have in uh, 1 Samuel 14. 
It's a terrible, terrible situation. They're, the Philistines are the enemy and they're, they're all over the place and they're mighty and they're numerous and they're strong and they've got giants and all this. And uh, uh, they have had a strategy where they either kidnapped or murdered all the Israeli blacksmiths. So they had no one to make swords. They had no one to make spear points. Uh, they even had to, if they had an ax that needed to be sharpened or a plowshare that needed to be um, put back in order, they had to take it down to the Philistines to get one of their blacksmiths to tend to it, and they charged them exorbitant prices. And, but it made a huge difference on the battlefield. Uh, we can see in uh, the 13th chapter of 1 Samuel that there are only two, two swords in all of Israel. King Saul had one, and his son, Jonathan, had one. And, uh, and they've, they've got 600 men in this army that's coming against thousands and tens of thousands of Philistines. Now, there was more than 600 men that would have been available, but uh, you know, you, we can see it today. When there is a winning team, the stadium fills up quickly. But if it's a losing team, folks have a tendency to stay away. And that's the way the Israelites were. They were staying away, trying to see, I wonder how this is going to go. This doesn't look too good. Saul was the king. He was uh, the first king of Israel. And he was kind of drafted into uh, his uh, kingship because uh, he was heads and shoulders taller than everyone else. And so they thought, well, this is, this is who we want. And Saul even means what you ask for. And Israel, the Israelites asked for a king. They wanted to be like other nations. They didn't want to just have the priest and, uh, uh, and have the prophets. Uh, they wanted to have a king like other nations did. So Saul was what they asked for. And he was, uh, he was a disaster looking for a place to happen because he was half-hearted for God. He knew who God was and he knew how important the prophets were. He knew important, how important the offerings were, but he just wasn't quite into it, okay? And many times he made rash decisions that put the whole country at risk. We're gonna hear about a couple of those here in this account. Uh, so things are really, really tough. Um, not a, they had some weapons, they had slings, they had uh, some bows. Um, they might have had an axe or two, but that wouldn't really hold up much uh, against a, a sword of great quality like the enemy had. So uh, it, was a, it was a tough, tough time for the Israelites. Um, 600 men, and they weren't really up front and center. The Philistines, they were there in mass and they were sending out raiding parties right and left. And uh, uh, they were just a, a force that they did not think they could handle. And so there was a pomegranate tree. And I got, I must admit in my study for this, I got sidetracked onto pomegranates, okay? Think about a pomegranate. It's, it's a great piece of fruit. 
Some have described it as a, a seeded apple because when you break it open, it's just a bunch of seeds in there, but they're covered with this great tasting fruit and it's just so good. Uh, some uh, Jewish historians uh, believe that the pomegranate was the forbidden fruit in the garden. Uh, and uh, they, uh, they attribute it to a lot of uh, different uh, traditions. Uh, there's a lot of pomegranates that were uh, sewn onto garments. There were pomegranates that were engraved at the temple. Uh, and uh, uh, so it had some kingly aspects about it, some royalty aspects about it. Also, uh, it's said that it has 613 seeds. I haven't counted them, but that's how many laws that were in the Talmud. So it kind of lines up there, okay? And many times uh, when, you're, when you were in Israel and uh, um, a desert area, uh, the, the king or the general would set up shop at, at a big tree because they kind of stood out from the rest. They, everyone could rally around there. And it's going to tell us in the scriptures that we're going to read here in just a little bit that Saul had set up by uh, underneath the pomegranate tree. Now, your uh, translation might say that it was at the pomegranate cave. Well, there were caves in this area as well, and apparently Saul and his men, his 600 men, were hiding in these caves because they were afraid to be seen by the Philistines. They, were, they did not have a sense of victory. They didn't think that they could conquer this mighty army, and so they were kind of hiding out and uh, taking their time. And we're not going to read verse 3, uh, but uh, if you'll read that, you can see that Saul was surrounded by some folks that just weren't real, wasn't really the cream of the crop. They were uh, descendants of Eli. And if you remember when uh, Samuel's mother brought Samuel as an infant to the temple uh, to be um, uh, raised by Eli the prophet, God had already decided that Samuel was going to be the prophet and that Eli's um, uh, lineage was not going to be uh, the priest. He was going to replace them. Uh, they were not going to be the prophets and they were not going to carry God's direction to the people. He was going to let Samuel do that. And the reason was Eli was, was not a bad priest but he was a terrible father and he he allowed his sons to take care of some of the priestly duties and they were uh, sexually assaulting some of the women that would come to worship they uh, were supposed to take the meat that had been offered and put it in a stew pot and and take a treble hook and drag it through and whatever came out is what they had to eat but they had a taste for barbecue can't blame them, except it's, it just wasn't the way they were supposed to handle it. So they were, they were twisting God's direction. They were twisting his word. They were, they were doing things for themselves instead of for the Lord. They were doing things for themselves instead of being obedient to what God had instructed them to do. And uh, so, um, uh, and one of these, uh, also we had ancestors of Ichabod. Okay, you, you know the name. Ichabod, you may not understand, but when Ichabod was born, uh, 
the uh, Ark of the Covenant had been taken away and his mother named him Ichabod, uh, God's glory has left us. Okay, so Saul was not surrounded by the cream of the crop, so to speak, okay? He had, uh, he had some poor um, spiritual counsel going on. Uh, so things were, were tough. They were really, um, really tough. And so let's look into the word uh, beginning with 1 Samuel 14, just the first two verses here. One day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibbeth, uh, Gibba, uh, around the pomegranate tree at uh, Migron. So, Jonathan, the guy with half of the Israelite arsenal, he had one of the two spears and he had one of the two swords. He tells his armor bearer, let's go over there and see what these guys are made out of. Let's, let's go check it out. And uh, in the meantime, while he's doing that, it's unbeknownst to his father, uh, they're just hiding out in the caves. And Jonathan says, enough of this. Now, let me, uh, let me refresh your memory a little bit about Jonathan. Jonathan and David were like this, okay? But not at this time. David is not yet on the scene. He's still out with the sheep. He might have been slaying a lion that day that was threatening his sheep or maybe a bear. Uh, and uh, uh, he had not yet come to the point where he was uh, delivering sack lunches to his brothers that were at the, uh, at the front lines when uh, Goliath was threatening and uh, um, making the, the show that he had. Uh, so that happens on over in chapter 17. So uh, David is just uh, out with the sheep at this point. So Jonathan has this armor bearer. He says, let's go see. God may give us the victory. And sure enough, he did. Um, let's go ahead and... Uh, he, he, Jonathan dared to believe that God could do anything. I want us to pause here just a minute. What do we need to dare to believe that God can do right here? Can you picture what God might do through this congregation? I see great things coming. You have had the privilege of hearing Pastor Scott preach. You've heard him sing probably. If you hadn't, you need to get your ears checked. You may have seen him in social surroundings and uh, see how lighthearted and personable he is. But I want you to know that he is a great leader. And uh, I think that God has put him here uniquely with us for such a time as this. And I believe the staff is here for such a time as this. I think this congregation, this building, uh, this community is here for such a time as this. Envision what God might do here. I can envision the first service filling up to overflowing. 
I can envision this service filling up to overflowing and starting another service. And then we're going to have to figure out how to find another service. I can envision a lot of adult Sunday school classes in this building um, giving up their space for children because our children's building is already stretched a little bit. And we're already talking with some Sunday school classes about some of them uh, starting home groups and, and others moving to different space to make room for the children. There's, I, I can see, I can envision the baptistry waters being moved and moved and moved. I can envision lives changed and uh, uh, not only filling this place up with people and families like you see around you today, but broken people, people who are, have suffered divorce, people who are struggling with, uh, uh, with uh, drug abuse or alcohol abuse, uh, people who uh, uh, are struggling financially and struggle after struggle after struggle. Our God is able to give the victory in all of that. Do you want to be a part of it? I do. Jonathan's armor bearer wanted to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the battle that's going to take place right here in this valley. Let's look at 1 Samuel 14, 4 through 6. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called, and they had names, Bozes and Sena. The cliff on the north was in front of Mishmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. But perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. What a great statement. God can win the battle. It's his battle to fight. There's going to be some that when we talk about reaching this community, they're going to say, Oh, but we don't have the resources. I love what Pastor Scott says. He says, God's will, God's bill. Okay? We have the resources if we will make them available. Saul had abused his resources to the point that he only had 600 men following. That's going to change pretty quickly once we see the tide of the battle change. We, we need to be willing to do what is necessary. It's going to take people. It's going to take homes. It's going to take finances. It all belongs to God anyway. Jonathan's armor bearer displayed a unity in faith and in action. Earlier in both services, when the pastor search committee made their announcement, there was a standing ovation. There's a lot of faith. There's a lot of hope. But it's going to take a lot of action too. 
Isn't it great that God allows us to be a part of his work? I'm blown away every day I wake up. I get to say before my feet hit the ground, God, I'm thankful that you're going to use me today. Show me how you're going to use me. And then get up and go about my day. It's, it's going to be God's victory. But we have to not only uh, display our unity in faith, but also our unity in action. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. It requires some action. Let's look at 1 Samuel 14, 7 through 10, and we'll, uh, I need to move along a little faster here because uh, as good as Melinda is, you'll have kids going crazy here pretty quick. Okay. 1 Samuel 14, 7 through 10. Do what you think is best. This is the armor bearer. I am with you completely. Your translation may say, I am with you heart and soul. Doesn't that communicate a lot? This translation says, I'm with you completely. But many translations, I'm, do what you will, I'm with you heart and soul. Whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are, we will kill you. And then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on uh, up and fight, then we will, go up, uh, we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. He's not saying this is going to be the Lord's sign that we're going to go up and do the defeating ourselves. It's the Lord is going to defeat them. Uh, we're not going to build this church to be what it needs to be. God's going to do that. And when we realize that God's going to do that, if we are obedient to him and follow God-directed leadership fully, wholeheartedly, heart and soul together, then he's going to give the victory. But he is the one that gives the victory. And we need to remember that because who are we going to praise? Are we going to praise Pastor Scott? No. Are we going to praise the church staff? No. Are we going to brag about this church and what this church has done? No, the only way we're able to do anything is if God gives the victory. And he gave the victory mightily. Uh, going on, looking at verses uh, 11 through 15. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we will teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, but the, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer uh, killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all and their bodies were scattered over about a half an acre. Suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outpost and raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Now, God used Jonathan and his armor bearer to climb up this cliff. 
I know enough about military maneuvers that you don't attack someone as you're climbing up a cliff. That's a, that's a design for disaster, okay? You're wanting to have the high ground. They had the high ground, and they were outnumbered um, and outarmed. It was only through God that they could have this victory. And God caused them to fall before them. Now, I don't know if that meant that God struck them down or if Jonathan was able to strike some with his sword and God took care of the rest, but 20 Philistines were slain on about a half acre. That's uh, about the size of some residential lots, maybe third to a quarter to a half acre, something like that, pretty uh, typical for uh, a residential lot. So you kind of get the picture. It's not a real large area. Uh, and so there was a huge victory in a very small space. And then an earthquake came and God instituted panic amongst all the Philistines. Now, um, what ensued was the Philistines from the raiding parties that were scattered around to the main force, they panicked and they began to, to run away. And, and the 600 men, Saul said, all right, pray to God and see what we need to do. And the, and the priests were working and uh, fumbling around a little bit. And he finally said, oh, forget that. We're gonna go ahead and join the battle. And then Saul showed some of his poor leadership again and that he said, no one, no man of Israel is to take any nourishment until the Philistines are completely routed. So they're running after them. And even when food and energy was available, uh, they would not partake. Jonathan didn't get in on the command and he was going, he was chasing the Philistines through a forested area and there were bees there and he was hungry. So he took his spear and he stabbed the hive and retrieve some honey and it strengthened him but the other men would not partake and so they were weak it was just a very poor move it was being overzealous with his leadership but as that uh, as that victory ensued and uh, the men who were not amongst the 600 saw that there was a victory for the Israelites they came out from their cities and they joined in the battle as well and there was a great, great victory for, uh, for Israel. Not only did they put the Philistines on the run, but remember they only had two swords and two spears. Those first 20 that fell, they, they increased their arsenal from two swords to 22 swords. God provides for the victory. We just need to recognize it. Uh, uh, through these men, God displayed his power and started a movement. It just spread all over the countryside because of what Jonathan and his armor bearer did, directed by God and the armor bearer following heart and soul. I want us to think about what the, what the battle looks like right here for us. Opportunity abounds for First Baptist Church Wimberley. Dripping Springs 
has, I believe, 8,000 residential lots platted out and they're building about as fast as they can build. I will tell you a few months ago, I drove through there at looking at all of the home developments and I began to physically weep because there's not a church that's reaching those people. This can be that church. We need to recognize the enemy. The enemy is not other Bible teaching, Jesus believing churches. Satan's the enemy. He's going to attack us. He's going to throw obstacles in the way. He's going to throw discouragement out. But not only are we having all this huge housing boom just 10 miles up the road from us. There's houses being built and apartments being built right across the road. The hills are full of people, many of which do not know Christ as their Savior. Not just the newbies, but the ones that have been around a while too. What does our battle look like? We've already gotten our marching orders. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus gave us what we call the Great Commission. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Romans chapter uh, 8, Paul tells the church in Rome and in turn tells us that we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. He's already given us the victory, He's already given us the souls. If we will be obedient, if we will work together under God-directed leadership, if we will join together heart and soul for the victory. I want to encourage us to always be all for Jesus, to be heart and soul together, and always give the glory to God. If we have success and then we puff ourselves up and say, look what Pastor Scott has done or look what First Baptist Church has done. Look at what our staff has done. That's not giving God the glory. As good a staff as I think we have, as good a pastor as I think we're going to have uh, with Pastor Scott, as great as this church is, it's God who brings the increase. And because he brings the, the victory, he needs to get the glory. And so I want to caution us at that. We can be a great church, but if we're a great church and pat ourselves on the back, let's just get that over with. Everyone just reach around, pat yourself on the back. All right, we're done with that, okay? It's to, it's to God who gets the glory. I think God's going to send a lot of people to be a part of what's going on here. 
But every time he adds someone, every time he saves someone, every time he rebuilds and renews a life, it's to his glory. Now, we're going to stand in just a moment. I'm going to pray. And Jonathan's going to come and lead us in a song. If you need to be moving your membership, if you need to talk to someone about trusting in this Jesus, because I'll tell you, folks, if we do this on our own, then in our own strength, it's going to fail. I want you to think right now, am I truly saved? Do I truly understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? That he died on the cross to pay my sin penalty. He was buried and rose again after three days so that he could demonstrate that he has power over death and the grave. Have you trusted him? It's a, it's a relationship. It's a one-on-one relationship. Is he your Savior? If he's not, I would count it a great privilege to introduce him to you this morning. Or maybe you just need to come down here and, and pray, or you can uh, just have an altar right there where you're at, praying and asking God to give us the victory. We can have it if it's all for Jesus, if it's heart and soul together, and if it's to his glory. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for what